This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c A lot of the times, toddlers, they may display some of these behaviors where they're more hyperactive, they're more inattentive, but it's so difficult to know because I'm sure as you've seen like in your work that like there is such variability where kids, they have so much energy in that moment. They seem like they're not paying attention a lot. And so it can be really, really easy for them to look like they might have ADHD, but it's just so difficult to know at that time. Hello, welcome back to the Feeds Dog Talk podcast. This week, I am welcoming Dr. Carrie Jackson, who is a licensed child psychologist. And we are talking about, does my toddler have ADHD? How young is too young? We are talking about ADHD because I get so many questions about if toddlers can be too young to have this. Welcome, Dr. Carrie, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I know this is a really hot topic that I get a lot of questions about too. So Super excited to talk about it today. And, you know, I was talking with you about topics to discuss and, you know, obviously you are a wealth of information and I'm going to have you tell our audience about what you do. But this topic is just so important because I, even as a pediatrician, get so many parents coming into my office and their two-year-old or three-year-old is exhibiting certain behaviors or actions. And the parent is like, hey, is this developmentally appropriate? Or is this something that could be a sign of ADHD? Is it ADHD? Are they going to have ADHD? So I'm just really excited about this conversation. um, Because I think, again, I think so many parents have these questions and sometimes don't know who to ask or, you know, where to turn to for information. But before we continue, tell me more about yourself and what you do in your career. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, right now, my main job, I guess I would say, is that I am a licensed child psychologist and I'm located in the San Diego, California area. So here I have my own private practice where I see kids primarily with ADHD, actually, and I see them for therapy as well as for evaluations. I'm also a professor at the University of San Diego, where I teach child therapy and the marriage and family therapy program. Um, and so in addition to that, I also I like to share mental health content just like you do on Instagram, as well as TikTok, primarily about parenting kids with ADHD. So and also it's a very personal topic for me as well. So I myself, I have been diagnosed with ADHD. And as a kid, I definitely was a little bit more of a challenge, I think, for my parents. And so it's really special for me to be able to help kids with ADHD who were like me when I was younger. Oh, that's a great, great way to go into a career, obviously, to give back and help others. Um, And for anyone who is not familiar with Carrie's um, platform on Instagram, the dot parent 
therapist. And I'm going to link this on the show notes so that you can follow her. I have to also say that I have learned so much about parenting ADHD from you because unless you have a child with ADHD or you see ADHD every single day and that's your niche, right? Like what you do, you Mm -hmm. have taught me as a general pediatrician so much that I have now been able to help my parents if their child has ADHD. So I want to thank you um, for what you've done for me and other pediatricians and educators, because I think that is so valuable. So even if you're listening to this and your child doesn't have ADHD, won't ever have ADHD, I think you can just learn so much just from being educated about the topic and how we can approach ADHD and what, you know, in terms of diagnoses and supporting parents um, in this journey. Oh my goodness. That is so sweet of you to say, because I feel like I'm also learning so much from you as I follow you and in your podcast too. So I appreciate that so much. And I'm sure as listeners, they will hear on this episode, like pediatricians and psychologists often work together a lot for diagnosing ADHD. So I'm so happy that we are connecting on this because pediatricians are so important to ADHD also. Oh, I love it. And again, I love this podcast so much because I get to collaborate and learn and also just, you know, people who are listening get to learn as well. So I think the first question I have is terminology because you hear people say ADHD, ADD. If you want to just go over the terminology, basically what it means. Um, so, you know, parents can understand what that is. Yeah. So for a lot of parents, they might have heard about ADD before or even ADHD. And now According to the DSM, which is how psychologists, they diagnose mental health concerns, it is all under the term ADHD, which stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means that for people who have ADHD, there are differences in their brain that lead Mm -hmm. to these different behaviors. So a lot of People with ADHD, they might have trouble focusing, they might be more impulsive, or they might display challenges in both. And so now there are considered like three presentations of ADHD, where one is more inattentive, one is more hyperactive, and then one has both of those. So it's most commonly diagnosed in kids, but it certainly carries through into adulthood. So it is considered a lifelong chronic diagnosis because it is neurodevelopmental with those differences in the brain. And I think you mentioned that you yourself got diagnosed. Was that as an adult or when you were a child? If you don't so, mind. Yeah, of course. It was actually as an adult. Um, and mm. so what happens a lot with girls actually is that they go undiagnosed because girls are more likely to present with the inattentive type of ADHD, which is how I am. And so like throughout school, I was doing really well. I was excelling but I honestly did not put in a ton of effort for a lot of my classes. And it was really in high school, college, grad school that I noticed these difficulties that I had. And I actually received a lot of feedback in college and grad school about my attention span. And so I was not diagnosed until I was an adult, but it's much more common for boys to be diagnosed like when they're seven years old, for example, because you see them be more hyperactive in comparison to girls who are more, more inattentive. And, you know, we'll talk about this briefly, but um, ADHD, you know, is again, like Dr. Carey said, a way we think, or just kind of like the wiring in our brain. So it's not like you caused your child to have ADHD. It's just kind of how we are. And I think that's a really huge concept that I think parents don't understand. Like they think that, oh, I did X, Y, and Z and my child 
has ADHD. That's not how it is. It's who we are and how our brain is wired. And it's, to me, a really important concept because there is a lot of shaming and blame placed on parents when it's really not like that. It's we want you to know what the signs and symptoms are so you can get support to foster that child's learning style and how they process information and how they, if they need any accommodations, that's what we're trying to do here. Would you agree that there's a misconception there? Absolutely. I have so many parents who have that guilt and that shame mm-hmm. that you mentioned, and they'll say things like, if I would have like not fed them this amount of sugar, would they be like yeah. this? Um, a lot of guilt around certain parenting things that they did. And I think that's really important for parents to know that this is a brain-based disorder. And so there's nothing that they did that would have given their child ADHD. And at the same time, like you were saying, they can still be an advocate for their kids and they can still be part of the solution for helping their kids with new parenting strategies, accommodations at school, um, regardless of that. So of course you work with a lot of families, school age and above, but one of the things that we're talking about on this episode is hyperactivity and concentration, right? That's kind of some of the tenets of ADHD. And in the toddler years, of course, you can't expect a two-year-old, three-year-old to always listen and stay still. And so a lot of parents do feel like their toddlers have ADHD tendencies or ADHD characteristics. So the first question is, how young is too young to be diagnosed, quote unquote? Is there certain criteria? I would love for parents to kind of hear about that. And then I'll have a follow-up question to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I follow with my diagnosing and evaluation practice, I follow the American Academy of Pediatrics, their recommendations for evaluation, and they suggest that the most accurate age, the earliest accurate age you can get a diagnosis is four years old. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the times toddlers, they may display some of these behaviors where they're more hyperactive they're more inattentive, but it's so difficult to know because I'm sure as you've seen, like in your work that like, there is such variability where kids, they have so much energy in that moment. They seem like they're not paying attention a lot. And so it can be really, really easy for them to look like they might have ADHD, but it's just so difficult to know at that time. But around four years old, you can start to get an accurate idea, although it's much easier when they actually enter into the school age years. So I guess my follow-up question would be when you meet families that are, you know, parents of a six-year-old, right? And they're now coming to you and you're talking to them about ADHD, the accommodations, if there's going to be medicine involved, all of that. Will the parents sometimes tell you like, hey, Dr. Carey, like, I swear, like when my child was two, I was telling my pediatrician X, Y, and Z, and they said that it was normal, you know, from a pediatrician's standpoint, it's really hard to predict if that behavior is sometimes age appropriate, or is this something that's going to be ADHD? Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I 
absolutely love the spicy jalapeno lime cheddar chicken and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. In your expertise, is there something before four that may say, hey, this may be a sign that we need to follow this closely or that their ADHD may be a reality? Or is it just really early to say? So I would say that there definitely can be signs. So one thing that I often look for in like the early stage period is like how restless your child was. So were they displaying like a high activity level and were they also, um, one thing that is very common is were they getting into a lot of accidents as a kid? Those can certainly be signs of a possibility of ADHD, but it's not enough to diagnose. Um, so at four years old. Also, I will say this is the earliest age you can get an accurate diagnosis. It can still be very difficult to diagnose ADHD at that point. There is research showing that diagnoses made at four years old, they do tend to be accurate as kids, they go into the elementary school age, Mm -hmm. but those inattention symptoms that are common of ADHD. So like difficulty focusing, trouble following directions, those are actually not good predictors of an ADHD diagnosis at age four. It's the hyperactivity symptoms at age four that are much more predictive of an accurate ADHD diagnosis at that age. So those are some more of the symptoms that I tend to look for when I am looking um, at younger kids, more of the hyperactivity and impulsivity. Yeah, that is just great to know because like I said at the beginning of the episode, I just feel like Sometimes people will say, well, I promise, like, this is what I've been saying, um, you know, when my kid was X age that I felt like they had it all along. I guess another follow up to that would be if you have a two year old or a three year old and a parent is concerned and saying, hey, look, like my husband has ADHD. I'm concerned that my son or daughter also has it. So if they can't get the official diagnosis, what are some things that they can do in that between that two to four years age? to kind of help them if they're concerned about some behavioral things or, you know, is a therapist worth it? Like, when would you say, hey, it's time to get some help, even if you don't have an ADHD diagnosis? Yeah, this is a good point. And so 
oftentimes, like even if I have a younger kid who I'm seeing, so I'll see kids two years old as early as that for therapy. Um, but I'm working with the parents in that moment. If they are concerned about some of these behaviors that seem like ADHD, I will recommend that they participate in some type of parent behavior therapy or a parenting Mm -hmm. group. So it's not to say again, that their parenting skills are the issue. It's just that, okay, your child, they seem to have high level of energy. They're more impulsive. Let's see how these specialized parenting skills may help some of these behaviors. Like the incredible years parenting groups, it's actually considered a preventative group to help with reducing any child behavior problems. And that is something that I will often recommend for parents also, because when kids are younger than six years old, the first line of treatment for ADHD, regardless, is behavior therapy, where you're doing like a parenting group. And so I always tell parents like, okay, this may be ADHD, but it's too young to know right now. So let's go ahead and get started with what we know is the first line of recommendations. Anyways, you'll benefit from it regardless. So that's what I would suggest to parents. Um, Trying out something like that, you can, I would say, talk to your pediatrician for a referral. Sometimes there are community groups that offer these. They all focus on a lot of like positive reinforcement strategies for these kids. I love it. And yes, I agree as a pediatrician that even if your child does not have like a diagnosis, right? And I I think a lot of parents fear diagnoses. Like some parents actually are like worried to bring up concerns to their pediatrician because they don't want a quote unquote label or diagnosis. But I'm really trying to normalize, you know, on this episode and other episodes that when we do give diagnoses, it's not, remember, these, these are not taboo topics. These are neurodiverse topics. These are important that we talk about this, but it's also so that you can get Like we talked about support therapies, all of that. And so if you don't have the diagnoses, you have support in other ways. Like Dr. Carey said, I mean, you're never alone in that parenting journey. If you're feeling like your child won't quote unquote, listen, and is two and a half years old, even if that's not ADHD, that just could, you know, and that's just a toddler, you should never feel that you don't have help, you know, because I don't want you to feel like alone in that journey. And I know you also would agree. And your pediatrician is a great starting point going through your insurance for therapists and resources. If you feel like you're not being supported by your first line pediatrician, I always want people to know how to advocate for their child and for their own parenting journey. But yeah, this is a really valid point. And I'm just so happy that Dr. Carey brought that up. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to bring that up. And I do think so. The pediatrician is always where I recommend starting. I have noticed like a lot of pediatricians, when kids are younger, they might refer to a psychologist for an evaluation Mm -hmm. at that point, just because it can be harder to do like the Vanderbilt screening is a common way that pediatricians will assess for ADHD in their office. And so I do find that. So I'm not sure if you've even carried that also for the younger kids as well. Yes, I have. And um, yes, the Vanderbilt. And we chose to talk about toddlers and ADHD and, you know, how young is too young. We probably will do a whole other episode just on medications and non-medication, you know, accommodations and what it means, you know, if you get that diagnosis. I think that's a whole different conversation that I think would be amazing with Dr. Carey. But I do want to talk briefly about the diagnosis that you mentioned, like the criteria. I know there's a whole list of different things, but one of the biggest things that I think parents also should know is that the diagnosis has to be in two settings. Is that still accurate? It is still accurate. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because a lot of um, parents do bring that up as a concern or as like a worry. So the two settings criteria, there are basically nine 
hyperactive symptoms and there are nine inattentive symptoms. And for an ADHD diagnosis, you have to have six of nine symptoms, either hyperactive or inattentive, and they have to be Mm -hmm. present in two settings. And so for kids, often that is school and home. So the teacher is typically filling out these questionnaires about kids. But for younger kids, what is often done is using like a daycare, for example, a preschool or using even like a grandparent's house. I have seen a lot of psychologists do that too, but I typically tend to tend to rely on daycare providers, preschools or teachers, because also there is research suggesting that they are the most accurate reporters of ADHD symptoms because they're able to compare to other kids in their classroom and their daycare as well. And so it would be very common if you're a pediatrician, if they ask your your preschool provider or teacher to fill out some questionnaires about your child's behavior also. Yeah. So, you know, from my general pediatrician world, and I would love to talk about this because people must wonder like, what, how does this work? So yes, under four, if I could have a parent comes in and they're like, look, my two-year-old is let's use the quote off the walls. That's usually what I hear, right? My toddler's off the walls. First and foremost, I'm having a conversation about where is this happening? Tell me about your schedule. Tell me about mealtimes. Like there's so much other things we have to talk about in the whole parenting journey besides just they're off the walls. I want to know more, right? That's Mm -hmm. usually the conversation. If I'm feeling like they need more support, sometimes we do discuss like a therapist or behavioral therapist um, and the parent wants that. And I think that's fantastic. But then also it's a question on, where is this happening? Like I mentioned, so if the child is at home and in school, right, or like a, a daycare, and the parent is saying, "Well, Doctor Ramona, like at daycare, the teachers have no concern, and they say that he listens and he does everything," but the parents are telling me at home there's major concerns for them. Then I need to say, "Well, what are we doing at home? Is there something with the schedule, with the environment, or vice versa?" Right? Like, just say the parent says at home things are doing like everything seems great, I'm happy, but then at school. There's a concern. And that is why I think the two setting criteria is really important for parents to hear, even if it's your toddler, right? Because if your toddler doesn't have the diagnosis, but you're concerned about behavior, I want to know, is this happening in multiple places? Is this happening in one place? Because if it's happening in one place, we have to kind of dig a little more about what's happening in that environment. What's the boundary setting happening? Is that just environment or is it the child, right? There's so many nuanced discussion when we discuss behavior and focus and all this stuff. So the two setting criteria, I know we're not going into all the criteria ADHD on this episode, but to me, that's the most important take home is that to make the official diagnosis at four, four years minimum, but also the two setting criteria. And if it's a four-year-old and above, I also have those Vanderbilt questionnaires, which Dr. Carey mentioned, which is a extensive questionnaire that the teacher fills out. Usually a teacher that the child is really seeing a lot of, you know, in, as a kindergartner, that's probably going to be one teacher. And then the family has to fill out. And once they fill those questionnaires out, I review them, we score them, I look at everything, and then I invite the family back to discuss next step. Hey, your Vanderbilt form showed me that there is a concern for hyperactivity or inattentiveness, or it didn't. The teacher said that everything's going good. What do you think? The diagnosis itself can sometimes take sometime. Um, you know, it's not always yep. like, oh yeah, here it is. Um, and so it's really important to have a good relationship with a pediatrician who is the first line, like Dr. Carey said, because I think that can really help you in advocating and also monitoring if your child is younger than four and you, you know, are concerned about ADHD and you want to continue um, the process of watching their, you know, their development. 
No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey, are you loving the show? You're halfway through, so I hope that you are. This is a reminder that if you love the show, appreciate our guests, and want to continue to hear amazing conversations, to leave those reviews and ratings. Reviews and ratings are how a podcast continues to grow and reach more people. And the more people we reach, the bigger we can get, and the more amazing free content we can provide for you. Yes, you may hear some ads like this one, but my goal is to be able to provide free and accessible health, development, and parenting content to you via the show. Leave a review and rating and update reviews after you hear a powerful episode. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, the two sign criteria, I agree. It's super important because the rationale for that is like, it is a neurodevelopmental disorder where it's, so it's mm-hmm. not, it's across your entire life and it will show up in some ways. So I have some parents who, you know, they're concerned. They're like, oh, but like he is doing so well at school. And it's like, okay, they may be doing very well in school, um, but there also might be some signs as well that the teacher knows. And I have had parents say that as well. Like when the Vanderbilts are filled out, they're surprised that even if a child is getting all A's in school, there is still some Mm -hmm. impairment in their behaviors. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying like, I've had those situations where those Vanderbilt forms come back and I'm talking to the family. I know the family and I have to dig a little bit because I'm like, maybe we need another teacher. Maybe we (laughs) need to see a little more because it's not always, you know, questionnaires. I'll be honest. Sometimes people don't always not everybody, but don't always answer them honestly, or they're in a rush or they're like, I don't know, maybe. So it is this sort of questionnaire plus the family, plus the relationship, plus making sure that we are following up to help the family. So I love this. And that's why, again, I'm so happy you're on because this is what you do and advocate for families. The next question I have is a common one about is ADHD hereditary? So someone will come in and say, well, my husband has it, or, you know, I noticed these same things when my partner was younger. Um, what is the research or is it hereditary? What do we know about that? Yes. So it's extremely hereditary. So if you are a parent who has ADHD, then you, I believe it's a 50% chance that your child will have ADHD as well. And so if you have a two parent household where both of the parents have ADHD, it makes it even more likely. So there's definitely a strong genetic link between parents who have ADHD and their kids. And that goes back to it being a really brain-based disorder. Again, you know, I do want to like tell parents, this does not mean like you are giving your child ADHD. It's something that you don't have control over. And there's also like, there's no blood test or no test to say like, will I give my child ADHD? Or even like after looking at diagnoses, like a blood test to say, does my child have ADHD? Which is why we have to rely on other evaluations. 
Yes. Oh, thank you so much about bringing up the blood work thing. I think, you know, as the first line general pediatrician, we get that question a lot. And also about food sensitivities that Mm -hmm. I, I swear it's this food that my child ate. And I'm like, no, like this is wiring of the brain. It's such an important message because again, to remove guilt, but also to remove that this isn't something that you remove or something like you don't check a box and say, well, no, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do this. You know, it's not so simple. Yes. I have families who have children with ADHD who tell me, Hey doc, every time I give my kid X, Y, or Z, it doesn't help him. And I'm like, look, then that is your situation. But we can't say that that's everybody, right? I mean, parents will tell me all the times, like certain situations for each of their children. And I'm like, look, if you truly feel this and you feel like it's, you know, a concern for you, then I understand, but there's no literature to say all ADHD children should be doing this then and, you know, avoiding this and this blood test for sure, because yes, there is no blood test for this. Um, Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. You brought up like about food too, which a lot of parents will that's what I see. Like parents have like a lot of guilt over too, because there's a lot in the yeah. media about like red food diet or like different like sugar, different things. But the research is really inconclusive, and it's suggesting that those don't play a significant role in the development of ADHD symptoms overall. And so I think for parents to know that it's like it's not something that you may have fed your child. It really is like a brain-based disorder, just like if they would have had a different like physical health disorder, you might not have been able to control that. And so taking some of that guilt off, it's very important for parents. And speaking with food, the other thing that I get told is, you know, screen time. Of course, I want to balance screen time for development. I use screen time for my son, but there's a balance here, right? We don't Mm -hmm. want to stick them in front of a TV for eight hours a day. But then I hear the guilt that, okay, my child, I showed them an hour of cocoa melon and now they have ADHD. It's because I showed them cocoa melon. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how this works. (laughs) Your child watched cocoa melon and that's independent of them having this diagnosis. So really, truly, if you have any question about ADHD, if you're like, oh my gosh, like I swear I did this to my child, I need you to follow Dr. (laughs) Carey because she will set the record straight, but also just give a lot of guidance if you have that diagnosis. So what can a parent do if they are concerned their child has ADHD? Um, Let's say it's a four-year-old. They think it's a a two-year-old. They're like, doctor, I swear, what would be the first steps that they should do? I I think that you have definitely hit on like what I would say the first step is, which is to contact your pediatrician, um, you know, at their like physical or just like a separate meeting and talk to them about some of your concerns that you have as a parent. When you do talk to your pediatrician, I would also, you know, make sure you've talked to like the daycare provider first or preschool and see like, are these challenges happening at school, at preschool? So you can bring those up to your pediatrician. Mm -hmm. I would say like, if you're having these concerns about their behavior too, regardless of if they have ADHD or not, this may be a time where you can get some support as a parent with like learning some new parenting skills. So like praise is one of the most effective skills for kids who are showing these signs of impulsivity. And so you can start off with some very small skills that can make a huge impact on them. And those will be things that your pediatrician could talk to you about. You can find through people on social media like me, or there are even some really great books as well out there. But I would definitely start with your pediatrician first. I love it. And I totally advocate for that as well, not just because I'm a pediatrician, but it is your first line. And I love what you mentioned about utilizing resources for your needs. So like you said, like finding the people that will help you in the issue that you have. So if you have a concern, you're going to follow the accounts that help you 
provide evidence-based information, supportive information, finding the books that serve your needs. There's so many resources out there. And I think it's just so amazing. We live in a time with all the resources, but at the same time, we don't want to just overwhelm you and feel like you have all this info, but don't know what to do with it. And that's why your pediatrician or a professional who deals with this every day is a great point of contact. And I think that blend is amazing. Dr. Carey, thank you so much for joining me. I had such a great time talking to you. (laughs) I like to do this fun little thing at the end of my podcast now where I just ask a question, you know, just to kind of learn about our guest a little bit. So my question for you is really, what has been the most rewarding part of your job so far? Yeah. So I would say the most rewarding piece of my job is getting to help parents who are really struggling with like these emotion regulation challenges for their kids with ADHD. So I actually, I love to tell the parents I work with a story about me. So like when I was a kid, like one of the biggest challenges I had was like some of these like emotion regulation challenges, which is often what you see in kids with ADHD. I remember getting so upset that I threw my A Bug's Life, which do you remember that movie, A Bug's Life? Yes. yes, I loved A Bug's Life. (laughs) Me too. So I threw my A Bug's Life alarm clock at our stair banister and I actually broke it. And so like for parents who are going through it, like I have been there. I was that kid, probably like your kid who is struggling a lot with some of these difficult behaviors. And so now for me, I get to help all of the parents of kids who may be doing things like throwing a bug's life alarm clock and breaking their stair banister. And I'm much more calm now, as you can hopefully see from the interview. So yeah. Yes. And providing such great information at, again, Instagram is the.parent.therapist. Where can they find you on TikTok? Is that the same handle? Yeah, it's the same handle. And so I actually, I also have um, some free resources for parents of kids with mm-hmm. ADHD. You can just go to my website, which is iparentadhd.com. Pretty easy to remember. And so I've got like a free parent guide. And then I also have like a monthly membership and a group parenting program as well. And I'm going to be putting the website as well as her Instagram handle and TikTok handle on my show notes. And again, thank you so much, Dr. Carey, for joining me today. If you love this episode and want to learn more about ADHD, make sure you write a review and leave a rating so that we know show some love for my guests as well as the podcast so we can continue to grow and do not forget to follow her on Instagram and TikTok so you can learn more about ADHD, parenting, and so much more. And thanks again for joining me today. Thank you so much, Dr. Ma. This was so fun and I can't wait to have another conversation sometime soon. Yes. we Hopefully we're going to talk about management. Hopefully we're going to talk about stigmas. I mean, there's so many things that we could have touched upon. And again, I'm just so grateful to connect with you on social and on this podcast. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, PedsDocTalkTV. We'll talk to you soon. Are you tired of searching Google and ending up in a rabbit hole at 2 a.m. thinking that you're ruining your kid? Stop and visit pedsdoctalk.com. My website is your new Google with a search feature to search all content that I have that is free or available by purchase. And let me tell you, there are a lot of free goodies there, like free printable PDFs for how to handle a choking incident to milestones to monitor in your kid. My website provides information regarding the health and development of your child, including parenting and sleep. 
My goal is that you stop those middle-of-the-night searches that lead you nowhere but into the land of anxiety. My goal is to guide you to be the confident and calm parent I know that you are. Make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and use the magnifying glass to search. Want even more? Make sure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting pedsdoctalk.com slash newsletter, where you can get the latest and greatest in child health news and parenting tips delivered directly to your inbox. That's pedsdoctalk.com slash newsletter.